Well, believe it or not, we're not going to begin today with the last book of the Bible, which is where we will be in a few minutes, but we're going to go to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. So let's start there. Everything starts in Genesis, right? That's what Genesis means, the beginning. Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11. The one world religion is already here. The one world religion is already here. During the tribulation period, which is yet future, we know, we've been talking about it during this series, there will be a one world religion, a one world church. Now, many people hear that and they say, well, that's impossible. You will never have an agreement between all the religions of the world. But it is true, there will be a one world religion, a one world church. And in fact, that one world religion and one world church is in existence today as I speak, just not obvious to everyone. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we are going to look at that and see where that's going. Now, some of your prophecy teachers, and, and listen, I have respect for people who are preaching prophecy from a dispensational, pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture perspective, because that is what the Bible teaches. And then, you know, we try to figure out how the dots connect. And some people, they see it a different way than others. And I get that. There's a trend right now with prophecy teachers to say, okay, now we see it. The one world religion is going to be ecology. Okay, or the Green New Deal and, and the environmentalists and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, I think it goes deeper than that. I don't think that's it at all. See, because at the heart of that movement is what I'm going to be talking about today. <laughs> and so uh, while there, <laughs> the one world religion, I don't think that's it, but the one world religion is in the world today, and we're going to be looking at that. While there will be many people who trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior during this future, soon, seven-year tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, all these different names of having to do with the same thing, while there's going to be many saved during that period of time, there will also be a false religion that will bring together all the faiths of the world. And by the way, it's not Islam either. There will be a false religion that will bring together all the faiths still existing after the rapture apart from the truth, okay? Now, in Revelation 17, both the religious and the political powers that will rule are called Babylon. They're called Babylon. Now, why are they called Babylon? Well, this is a foundational truth that will get us all to understand where this is going and how it fits together. So let's just go through our, our notes today and let's look at the word of God. Genesis chapter 11. But our first point is this as we get into Genesis chapter 11. When we think of Babylon, we must go back to the Tower of Babel where it all started. We must look closely at the Tower of Babel for therein lies the entire foundation and concept of Revelation chapter 17 where we're gonna spend our time today as we study. Genesis 11 verse one. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Now, God had told them that he wanted them, they were supposed to go forth and they were supposed to multiply over all the earth, according to Genesis chapter nine. But man decided, no, we're not going to do that. 
we are going to do what we want to do. We are going to take our own path. And so what you see in Genesis chapter 11 is rebellion towards God. Rebellion towards God. That's important to remember now. Verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly or thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us, notice here's man getting together with a concept of his own. Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Notice it doesn't say unto the heavens. They're not saying that this would reach into the sky. Notice the language, it's very important. Whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name or let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. God's will was that they be scattered. They said, no, no, we are going to make a tower that's going to reach all the way to heaven and we're going to make a name for ourselves. Now, while the word pride is not literally seen in verse four, nevertheless, it is there and and it is the thrust and the attitude of verse four as well as in Revelation chapter 17, verse 18. What is he getting at? Here's the thing. And by the way, so what did God do to scatter the people? Do you remember? He confused the languages. And we today use the term when you can't understand what somebody's saying, you're saying you're babbling. Okay, now husbands don't say that to your wife. (laughs) And wives don't say it to your husband either. And so all the languages started up at this point, all the different languages. Now, isn't it interesting today? We have software on our smartphones and you can talk. You can choose the language you want. You can talk it into the phone and it'll read back audibly. It'll read back in the language you chose, the thing you just said in English. It is reversing what God did at the Tower of Babel. So what is the issue here that we see in Genesis 11? It is an issue of self-will and self-promotion. Let me say it again. It is an issue of self-will and self-promotion. It is at its core humanism. All man-made religions stem from this issue of humanism. What do I mean by humanism? Man becomes his own God. Man becomes the source of all solutions. What you see in the green movement today, you know it's at the core? The religion at the core of the green movement is humanism. That is what's there. We can do this. We can change everything. We can control the environment. If we just get people to walk and ride bicycles all over the planet and ban cows because they pass gas and the gases are polluting the ozone. And so if we could just get rid of all this stuff, basically go back to walking and riding bikes all over the planet, no more cars. And if you have a, well, anyway, we won't, I don't want to take up the messages all the, you know what I'm saying. We can change it. We can change everything about our planet and we will live in utopia and we will live in nirvana. Friend, listen, you are being deceived by somebody. Because the Bible's very clear. God is the only one who can control it and God is the one who will control it. Now, if you have not heard the earlier messages 
in this series, Countdown to Armageddon, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to them, either on, they're on Facebook, they're on YouTube, but this is important that you understand. God is going to be sending plagues upon the earth and he is going to control the environment. As a matter of fact, he is going to, one of the plagues is actual global warming where he is going to turn up the heat of the sun and he will scorch men with fire, the Bible says. Do you really believe that? I do. I believe that as much as John 3.16. It's found in the Bible. So all man religions stem from this idea of self-will and self-promotion. And the issue is humanism. All man-made religions stem from humanism. Did you know that? You cannot think of a man-made religion that does not come back to man thinking he is and has the solution. That's humanism. It's exactly what it is. Now, anyone left at the rapture of the church, what is the rapture of the church? To when, and I'll talk about it more at the end of this message, to when Jesus said he's, before we go into that seven-year tribulation period, Jesus said he is going to come back and he's going to call all believers, all those who have trusted Jesus Christ alone as Savior, out of the world. They're going to be caught up in a moment in the twinkling of an eye to meet the Lord in the air, the Bible says. And then he's going to take us to heaven. He's going to deliver us out of the world before he starts pouring out his judgments during that seven-year period of time. Now, that being true, anyone left on the earth at the rapture can potentially be a part of the one world church in Revelation chapter 17, unless they trust in Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ as their savior. Let me say it clearly today. The very thing that caused people to be left behind at the rapture is the very same thing that will unite the one world religion of the tribulation period. One more time. The very thing that caused people to be left behind at the rapture is the very same thing that will unite the one world religion during the tribulation period. And here it is. You know what it is? It's faith in self. Faith in self. Leads us to our second point. I want you to turn in your Bible over to Revelation 17. Revelation 17 deals with religious Babylon. That is what the city, this power, is called, religious Babylon. Bible teachers are divided on whether religious Babylon and political Babylon refer to the same city. Some think political Babylon is the many good Bible scholars today, good sound men in the word of God. Many of them believe that political Babylon is the actual Babylon in Iraq, that it's going to be rebuilt during these days and it's going to be a thriving city and and that's where the center of everything is going to be, is a literal rebuilding of Babylon in Iraq and that it will be the world center for commerce and also the Antichrist, okay? Now, I don't believe that. It's this pastor's opinion. It's an educated opinion, but it's this pastor's opinion. I don't believe that is true. And let me give you two out of several reasons. Let me just give you two today because of time. The first is this. The religious Babylon of chapter 17 is clearly centered, and we will see it here in just a moment, in the city of Rome, Rome, Italy. Now, I have nothing against Italians. Capiche? Okay, 
Why? Well, one reason, I'm Italian, full-blooded. My dad's family was from Sicily. My mom's from the Venice region. And I never really knew my grandparents. They were all gone, I think, two, three years old. They were all gone, so I don't remember them. But here's the point. We will see, I think, clearly here. And, and listen, folks, I have not, by the way, I have no axe to grind against Italians, and I have no axe to grind against people who are Roman Catholics. I was raised Roman Catholic. I love Catholic people. I love them. That's not the point. The point is, what does the Bible say, and how are we going to respond to it? So the religious Babylon of chapter 17 is clearly centered in Rome. Verse 18, Revelation 17, 18, look at it. It says, and the woman which thou sawest, we'll get to her in just a minute. The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Now, John the apostle wrote the book of Revelation around AD 90, 95, somewhere in that time. The city that was reigning over the kings of the earth was what city? It was Rome. Nothing could be clearer than that. And by the way, you notice it doesn't say the city that will reign. It says the city which reigneth. That's written in the present tense. When John was writing this, he said it's the city that reigns over the kings of the earth now. It's Rome. Rome. Not Babylon in Iraq. Now, The woman who is the city was reigning, present tense, over the kings of the earth in John's day. That can only be Rome. If the church age is a parenthesis in history, then the world must pick up where it left off after the church is taken out. So you see, here's the time of Jesus. Rome was ruling at the time. From Rome, it was the Roman Empire. Then the church age began. But if you take the church out of the picture, the, from Pentecost to the rapture, if you take the church, extract the church out of the world, then put those pieces back together, we are going to start up where we left off. By the way, the Jews were in the land when Rome was ruling. Guess what? The Jews are in the land. And who's going to r- rule again? The revived Roman Empire is going to rule again, and virtually all prophecy teachers, I believe, agree with that, or at least most of them do, and I'm, I'm one that agrees with that as well. So Rome was ruling in first century, verse 18, we see that. Secondly, though, political Babylon. The political Babylon. There's a religious Babylon, there's a political Babylon. The political Babylon of chapter 18 If you read chapter 17 and you put next to it chapter 18 and you see the description of the city, it is identical. Now some say, okay, well, yeah, religious Babylon is out of Rome. The description is there. But then political Babylon is in Iraq. No, friend, listen. The description in chapter 18 is identical to the city of chapter 17. I mean, I don't see how we can miss that. The exact same description. Therefore, it is the same city. And if it is Rome in chapter 17, it is Rome in chapter 18. Now, let's go back to Revelation 17, verse 1. It says this, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show thee, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, I believe verses one and two speaks of spiritual 
fornication against God. Spiritual fornication is worshiping and serving any God besides the one true God that we find in the Bible. Many waters here refers to many people, according to verse 15. Over history, there has been a tremendous influence from Rome on the nations of the world. You can even go, this has developed over time. This did not stop with the fall of the Roman Empire. This continued on through actually the Roman Catholic Church. And the popes have had tremendous sway and influence on the nations of the world. And this is just a matter of world history. Again, no ax to grind on this. This is just a matter of history. Read it for yourself. Check it out. This is the way it has gone. Which leads us to our third point. As we come to verse three, we see a description of the woman. Okay, now this is in the Bible. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. Now this is religious Babylon. So this is a religion centered in Rome. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And so let's break this down, okay? Purple and scarlet. Now, again, I was raised Roman Catholic. We have no ax to grind. We're just saying this is what the Bible says. Okay, it's not me. This is what scripture says. Purple and scarlet, these are the colors of Roman Catholic hierarchy. We see the golden cup. If you were raised Catholic, you're very familiar with the golden cup. It's called the chalice. It is used in the mass, We see gold and precious stones and pearls. This speaks of great wealth, great wealth. Many Catholic churches around the world are full of gold and precious stones. As a matter of fact, it was one of the things that got me thinking when I was a teenager, kind of turned off, but not totally, but I kept hearing, kept hearing, kept hearing, uh, being a raised Roman Catholic, going to mass and, and hearing, and, and the priests, would, they would plead with, give more money, uh, give more to the collection to where we can keep the parochial schools in other parts of our country and in the world open. Okay, the Catholic schools, keep them open. Why? Well, because they're having to close because they don't have enough money. And here I was, all 16, 17 years of me, thinking, well, why don't they go into some of the churches, take the gold and silver and stuff out of there, sell it, and then give that money to the schools to keep them open? Because they're loaded with gold and jewels and so forth, gold and precious stones. No religion, to my knowledge, has had such an abundance of gold and precious stones as the Catholic Church. And especially, this is very prevalent, folks. Not so much in the United States, although it's here. It's very prevalent overseas, in Europe, and especially in countries like Mexico and South America. You see it very big. Now, it talks about in, in, uh, let's see, it's... uh, The scarlet-colored beast, okay? The scarlet-colored beast. I think the church is riding at this point on the back 
of the Antichrist. I think the beast is the Antichrist according to 13.1. And by the way, again, he is centered in Rome. Now let's go on. The seven heads of verse three are identified as seven mountains in verse nine. So we don't have to guess this. The seven heads of verse three are identified as seven mountains in verse nine. There seems to be little doubt that the city is Rome. It is situated, Rome is situated on seven hills. Rome has always been known throughout the ages as the city on seven hills. Several years ago, my wife and I were able to go to Italy and uh, our guide, totally secular Italian, it was just a matter of fact. She says, we're going, you know, we're in Rome. It's the city of seven hills. She talked about it regularly. This is an accepted truth. What do we see? We see this one world, last days religion centered in Rome. The 10 horns are the powers under the Antichrist. Now, if the government that Antichrist heads up comes out of Europe and is the revived Roman empire, then it would make good sense to see it centered in Rome itself because Rome was the heart and soul of the Roman Empire. Now, I read all that. You see it. It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. With that in mind, it would be very hard for us to read verses 1 through 4 along with verse 18 and not see Rome and seeing it's talking about the religion of this tribulation period it would be very hard to not see the religion of Rome. Now, for our Catholic friends who may hear this, don't be offended by the next statement. I'm just trying to understand scripture. The religion of Rome is the Roman Catholic Church. The hills, the colors, the golden cup, the wealth of gold, the precious stones, all of these things, we see it and we see it spelled out clearly. One Bible teacher who's with the Lord now, John F. Wolvard, he said this, quote, an extensive study of the religions of Babylon demonstrate that many of them were carried over in part into Roman Catholicism and formed the background for some of the ceremonies, unquote. That's true. It is just true, okay? So people say, well, you're saying then that the one world religion of the tribulation period then is Roman Catholicism. Actually, no, I'm not saying that. Here's what I'm saying. The religious Babylon of the future is going to be broader than the Roman Catholic church. It will be a unification of all religions to Rome. This will include people of many faiths. Will everyone be Roman Catholic? No, I don't believe that will be the case. I don't think so. But the present Pope, Pope Francis, is on a mission to unite all the religions of the world. Now, this is not my opinion. This is a matter of very clear record. Go out on the internet, check it out. He has these conferences and he invites all the leaders of all the different world religions. You might say, well, you mean, you mean like Baptists and Methodists? And no, 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 it goes further than that. I'm talking about Hindu leadership, Buddhist leadership. Listen, Muslim leadership. They have conferences where they're all coming together and they're all trying to find common ground to where they can unite. What you don't find in that group, as far as I know, are fundamental Bible-believing Christians. 
Why? Because there's something that's different. And that difference strikes at the heart of the one world religion. Again, this one world religious, this religious Babylon will include people of many faiths. Will everyone turn Roman Catholic? No, no. Which leads us to our fourth point. The one world religion, I believe, will be a mystical humanism. Now, this is where even environmentalism, the Green Deal, and all this kind of stuff fits in. You see, folks, because it all has to do, listen, it all has to do with mysticism. It all has to do with sensual gods that you cannot see. Worshiping a God of nature where, okay, okay, how do I, where's the objective truth of that? Well, there isn't any, but you will, you will know. You will come to an enlightenment of understanding with this. Mystical humanism. Remember, at the core of that which is contrary to the teaching of Scripture, which is Jesus Christ is the Savior, at the core of humanism is man is the Savior. And man can get in touch with whatever powers that be, and man can be the solution to man's problems. That's exactly what Antichrist is going to eventually come to midway through the tribulation period. A mystical human potential religion which seeks to glorify man. And that religious, mystical, human potential religion has its tentacles today even within the body of Christ. See, folks, we are drifting that way through something, uh, one of the more popular things is what we have today. It's called contemplative theology. Contemplative prayer. Where you don't pray according to scripture, you simply pray and then you sit there and you try to get yourself in a state to where you are, quote unquote, hearing from God. How do you know you're hearing from God? How do you know? How can you prove that? See, the Bible says I can prove this. It's objective. But when you move into the subjective, now you're opening yourself up to demonic influences, you're opening yourself up to feelings, you're opening yourself up to peer pressure. This is what you need to believe. If you don't believe this, you're on the outside, you're a kook. You need to bow the knee to what we're saying. This is where it's all going. And see, when you move away from that which is objective, then anything goes. You have no more walls. You have nothing to measure by. It's all what we're feeling. Let me tell you something. Satan will give you all the feelings you want, as well as your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. When something is mystical, you move away from the objective standard of right and wrong, which is the Bible, to something based on experiences. And it's humans having mystical experiences. So it's a mystical, humanistic religion focused on man and what man can achieve. And it's always been that way. Always having to do with man's works, man's achievements, what man can do. Okay. Now leads us to our fifth point, incredibly important in this today. What do all false religions have in common? Here you go. This is it. This is key. They all, without exception, believe that to some extent you must do good works to enter 
either heaven or nirvana or paradise or a higher plane or you name it. It's all based on your works, what you can achieve, your performance, every single one of them. And some of them, by the way, consider themselves Christian. But that's not what Christianity is all about. See, they believe it is faith in man. It is not faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. The ones who will go up at the rapture are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as Savior. Those who will be left behind are those who, to some extent, trusted in their works or their own goodness. Now, this is an individual thing because there are people in what we would consider works-oriented religions today with a Christian name to them. There are some in those groups that are saved. They've just never gotten out and gotten into a church that's just strictly Bible-based. They're still there in those churches. As an example, there will be In the one world church, in the one world church, this false church of the tribulation, there will be Buddhists, there will be Hindus, there will be Muslims, but there will also be Methodists, Baptists, Catholics, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Pentecostals, Church of Christ, Charismatics, there will be Mormons, there will be Jehovah's Witnesses, there will be Church of God, there will be Bible churches, there will be non denominational churches. Anyone who has not trusted in Jesus Christ alone as Savior is going to get left at the rapture. And they will now be open to becoming a part of the one world religion. Can they still trust Christ early on? Yes, they can still trust Christ. After the rapture takes place, did you know there's going to be many churches that call themselves Christians today in America? There's going to be many churches that aren't going to be missing anybody when the rapture takes place. Do you know why? Because they have been preaching man's performance as the way into heaven. This is what they're preaching. The one world religion will be the unification of all religions to Rome. Again, this will include people of many faiths. Not, well, the Pope is going to rule the world. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Unless he changes Catholicism into completely accommodating. And I know some people are accusing him of that now. I don't know where that will go. I do know this, though. You don't want to be left at the rapture. Okay? So again, the one world religion will be a mystical humanism, a mystical human potential religion that seeks to glorify man. You see this even in the Pentecostals today with the idea of positive confession. If you just say it, it's gonna come true if you just say it. So whatever you say with your mouth and you have faith in that, that creates reality. Do you see the mysticism in that? That's nowhere founded in scripture. Not all believe that. Now again, I'm not saying every single one who belongs to a church like that. I'm not saying that. Not picking on anybody. I'm just saying, folks, there is a common thread and the thread is having as your savior and focus anything but Jesus. You're looking at yourself and if you're looking at yourself for any level of righteousness, you are falling into this trap of this mystical humanism. Look with me to Ephesians chapter two. So you want to go up at the rapture, and that's easy. 
You don't want to be left behind. You don't have to be left behind. You know, there are those saying today, even. See, this is how this is so permeated, the churches and quote-unquote religion and quote-unquote Christianity today. This is how it's so permeated. They'll actually even have people say this. They'll say, okay, well, you just go into heavens just by faith in Christ, but if you don't behave yourself, you'll be left at the rapture. So they're saying you're saved, but you're going to be left because you didn't behave yourself. Do you see every step of the way, man's got to get his good works in there and say, this is the reason I'm going to heaven. I performed, I earned it, I achieved it. I can do it, I'm my own answer. Do you see the common seed here of error and deception? Yet in stark contrast to that, what do we see? For by grace are you saved. Grace is God's unmerited kindness and favor. For by grace are you saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So how are we saved? We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And notice the next phrase, and that not of yourselves. Our works have nothing to do with it. It is the gift of God. Verse nine, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you see the last line? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Yet people today, religious people, I've argued with people in in ministry over this. You can't, they'll tell me, they say they're Christians and they'll say, you can't tell me that if you trust Christ as Savior, you're gonna go to heaven no matter what you do with your life. So you're telling me that you have to perform and live a godly life if you want to be saved. That's saved by works. And it says, not of works, lest any man should boast. I can't accept that. Then friend, you're probably gonna get left when the rapture takes place. Because you've, to some extent, your faith is not, you are saving, the saving of your soul, you are trying to share that with Jesus Christ. Are you your savior? Oh no, I'm not the savior. Well then quit trying. Put your faith in him. This would also include all those who believe in a so-called lordship salvation today of Christ plus works for salvation. It will include people of all denominations who think there is more to getting saved and staying saved than faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. When you boil it all down, now listen, when you boil it all down, there's really no difference. You're either, you've either put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, or you believe you have to perform and do good works to be saved. Well, I believe it's a mix. Then you don't believe in Jesus. Listen, Isaiah says, I even, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. And that includes you. Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He was talking about the name of Jesus. No other name, that includes your name, whatever it is. So if you think that you have a part in saving your soul by the way you live your life, you're not saved, friend, and you'll be left behind. When Jesus comes, And if you keep with that mindset, you are going to be part of that one world church during the tribulation period. Your flavor may be different, so to speak, but it'll all be one. Again, there will be Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, Methodists, Baptists, you name it, because there are people of every group who have never trusted in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. Obviously, some groups more than others.
Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, look at the clarity of this. People sometimes, yeah, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Those are the only two verses he knows. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. <laughs> you know what? That's where it all started for me. But friend, no, they're not the only verses I know. I know verse 10. <laughs> Romans 4, verse 5. Look at this. But to him that worketh not. Does this guy work to get to heaven? No, he does not work. But to him that worketh not, but instead of that, believeth on him, Christ, that justifies the ungodly. Watch it. His faith is counted for righteousness. Not his works. Your works do not count as righteousness. It's faith in Jesus Christ. Titus chapter three, look at that with me. Hold your place in Revelation, by the way. We'll be back. Titus chapter three in verse five, it says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Christ, you are cleansed of your sins and you are born again by the Spirit of God. That's what that's talking about. But you notice the basis of it, it is not by works of righteousness. And yet you have people who say, who say this, oh, Jesus is necessary, he's just not enough. What he did on the cross is the beginning, but I also have to live a faithful life. I have to turn from all my sins. I have to repent of all my sins. I need to do good. I need to do that and I, this thing and that thing and all this. Even people who once got it, many of them no longer get it. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Now, if they're already saved and they get messed up, will they still go at the rapture? Yes, but they're gonna go with a red face when they see Jesus, they'll be embarrassed that they messed it up. You can't go wrong if you just say it's Jesus and only him. It's the only way. I mean, why would we put faith in ourselves when we have a perfect sinless substitute for our sin, a payment for our sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh? Why not put faith in him? Why do we still insist on depending on ourselves? Back to Revelation 17, which brings us right to this point. Revelation 17, 5, and upon her head was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. What would make an abomination? Here you go, in the context, here you go. Any message any religion that says what Christ did on Calvary is payment for our sins, that it was not enough. That is an abomination to God. That is blasphemy to God. It is an insult to Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. He said when he died on the cross, it is finished. And we come along and say, oh, thank you, but I don't think so, not enough yet. Let me throw in my two cents. Blasphemy. It's an accursed message. An accursed message. Anything that adds to the work of Christ as the only means of salvation is an abomination. Anything that tries to diminish the grace of God is an abomination. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And anything else is a false religion. And that false religion will end up morphing into the one world religion. 
because they all have one thing in common, man thinking he is the savior. Humanism, humanism. Let me show you this over in Hebrews chapter nine. Hold your place in Revelation, Hebrews chapter nine. Friend, please, I plead with you that we understand the simplicity and the logic of the gospel. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 12, it says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus paid for our sins, and through it, he obtained eternal, that's forever, redemption for us, okay? Perfect salvation, we have been bought with a perfect price that was paid, and all God's asking us to do is put our faith in Jesus Christ as the one who did that for us. Now, this one world church that I've been talking about today will eventually fail when the Antichrist is done using it for his gain, and he will go into the temple halfway through the tribulation period. He will claim himself to be God and to be worshiped as God. And by the way, he's a human, right? Here we go again, faith in man. And that will happen midway through the tribulation. Verse 16, 17, 16. And the 10 horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore. The 10 horns are the government leadership under the Antichrist. These shall hate the whore, which is the false religion of the tribulation, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast, the Antichrist, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city, which present tense, as John was writing, reigns over the kings of the earth. I don't want you to be left behind. I don't want you to be left behind. Turn with me in closing over to 1 Thessalonians chapter four. I started with this and I will end with this today. There's an event coming that will change the world forever. It is called the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. And here in 1 Thessalonians four, verse 13, Paul is writing to believers. So this is something that was going to happen to them. He's just teaching them about it. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that's believers who had died, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Do you see it? There's the core of truth. There's the core. There's our foundation. That's the basis for getting raptured. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, that's probably us today, I hope, shall not prevent, go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those saints who died physically, their bodies in a sense have been sleeping during this time. They've been with the Lord. It says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Their bodies will be changed, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15. And they will be reunited with a new spiritual body. Those of us who are alive when Jesus comes back at the rapture, we will be changed. We'll be alive and all of a sudden, pff, 
Spiritual body. Amen. I can't wait for that new body. It's coming. What's the greatest feature of it? You can eat whatever you want. (laughs) And you'll never get fat. You'll never get sick. Nothing. You'll never get tired. Think of it. Man. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord near. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Now I love verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Hey, Christian, it's going to be all right. We're on the winning side. We got a home in heaven waiting for us. Just a matter before the Lord comes to take us there. But if you don't know Jesus Christ and him alone as Savior, you'll be left behind when this takes place. All of a sudden, folks, millions of people around the planet are going to disappear. Please put your faith in Christ today. Would you do that? You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's a gift. God will give it to you freely today if you'll simply trust in Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of everlasting life. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.